Hi, it's Shauna Ting Lipton, and in this podcast, I explore a time when I was living in the Hollywood Hills and finding out a little bit more about LA's spiritual history. I also happened to stop by Mrs. Laura Huxley's house, the widow of Aldous Huxley, and she really brought that to life for me. So check it out. Hope you enjoy. On February 1st, 2007, I made my way back to familiar territory, the Beechwood Canyon neighborhood of the Hollywood Hills. Three years earlier, I'd had a house share in a big dusty relic of a home off Gower Street and above Franklin Avenue, made semi-famous in the party scene from the 90s movie Swingers. Samantha Mathis, the actress who had dated River Phoenix until he died on Halloween 1993, was my room's prior occupant. Phoenix's wake, I was told by my housemate, had actually taken place in our backyard. The 1920s property conjured up images of the classic movie Sunset Boulevard, or the digs of Great Expectations Miss Havisham, depending on one's preferred cultural reference. Featured in the seemingly haunted and often amber-lit sunken living room with its terracotta tile flooring were a fireplace, a faded rose-colored velour sofa, a grubby grand Persian rug, and a staircase with wrought iron railing. The look was decidedly old furniture detritus. It had the perfect vibes for a tapas and tarot gathering I threw together with some artist and musician friends, early internet entrepreneurs, and one of the founders of the now popular counterculture website, Dangerous Minds. The name of the street it was on, Temple Hill, betrayed a shadow aspect of Hollywood, its esoteric leanings. This part of Hollywood, above the Monastery of the Angels cloistered nunnery, whose St. Martin de Porres statue stands sentinel over Hollywood Boulevard's sinners, had the blanched-out veneer of a 70s movie. Let's put it this way. A soundtrack consisting of the Eagles' tune Hotel California would not have been out of place. We haven't had that spirit here since 1969, or 1869. Ethereal energies permeated the area which had played host to Eastern spiritual groups from as early as the mid-19th century. Just up the road from my antique crash pad was the Vedanta Society Temple, which British scribe Christopher Isherwood had called home for a time in the 40s. This was where he wrote much of his autobiographical book, My Guru and His Disciple, while being mentored by Swami Prabhavananda. Isherwood describes the area, Hollywood Boulevard lay below you, busy with shops and restaurants. Halfway along the road on the right side, a surprise awaited you, a squat Hindu temple with white plaster walls and onion domes, their pinnacles painted gold. A flight of steps led up to it with cypresses on either side. Beechwood Canyon also had its roots in a mystical school of thought called Theosophy, which was established in 1875 and is often linked to one of its leaders, Russian noblewoman Helena Blavatsky. To simplify and summarize one of its beliefs, the universe is a mechanism through which life evolves towards a unified consciousness. Sites like the nearby Cretona, a former Theosophist colony dating back to 1912, but at the time of my visit, a cluster of apartments, dot the landscape. Late philosopher-writer Jadu Krishnamurti, who the spiritual group believed to be the physical host for the coming world teacher, spent much time in such Southern California colonies. 
He later left the group and went on to preach that people should discover their own sacredness and wisdom rather than kneel at his feet. Krishnamurti wrote, The worship of authority, whether in big or little things, is evil, the more so in religious matters. There is no intermediary between you and reality. Appropriately, I had dubbed this hillside enclave Hindu Hollywood, a pithy little moniker if I did say so myself. Its surrounding mystique is something I've always loved about my hometown of Los Angeles. On the surface, celebrity, glamour, and excess are king. But journey a bit deeper, and you just might find something scratching the surface of enlightenment. I was researching this very topic, LA's connection to Eastern spirituality, when I happened upon, more accurately, lucked upon, Laura Archera Huxley's contact information. Her surname by marriage emanates from her famous long-deceased writer husband, Aldous, of brave new world renown. In the circles I ran in at the time, a crowd of intellectual and alternative literary and art salon attendees, the Brit's name was Golden. So on that day in February, I headed back into those magical hills above and beyond the uniform stars of the Walk of Fame, into hallowed territory, to learn more about the beatific side of Hollywood. This was the home where the Huxleys had famously fled a fire in 1961, leaving precious letters from Bertrand Russell blazing behind them. Inside the house, propped up by dark wooden beams and festooned by a shaggy carpet, I met Laura, a slight, nonagenarian little old lady with short white hair. The Italian-American grand dame of the manor, a writer in her own right, ushered me to the dining room table of the old home she'd shared with Aldous. Graciously, Laura began by offering me chocolates, cookies, and lastly, tea. I have to admit that I hesitated to accept anything drinkable or edible from the sweet elderly lady, wondering if it could be dosed with LSD or peyote. My sense of the scenario before me lay somewhere between arsenic and old lace and the cemetery scene in Easy Rider. After all, the Huxleys were known as early pioneers in the psychedelic movement. Aldous, of course, chronicled his mescaline experiences in the essay-turned-famous book, The Doors of Perception, from 1954, a tome so revered in bohemian circles that it spawned a legendary band name homage, The Doors, of course, over a decade after it was published. I should also add that Laura is said to have dosed her late husband on his deathbed at his request, so maybe my fears weren't completely unfounded. It's funny, though, how it gives us comfort to pigeonhole a person as gentle and elderly, notwithstanding the reputations they cemented for themselves in younger, wilder days. But there's always at least a small remnant, a spark in the eye, of the daring sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Or in this case, lit drugs and spirituality persona. I wish this and more for all of us in old age, a bit of Ruth Gordon and Harold and Maude. Laura seemed like an elegant spitfire. She had done a lot of living, and at the moment she spoke very candidly with me about the devastation she was experiencing as her eyesight was slowly deteriorating into blindness due to macular degeneration. She had become increasingly dependent on others like her assistant, she admitted. For an independent spirit, this must have been an unthinkable way to live. Huxley's widow said she very much liked entertaining young visitors like myself because it connected her with the outside world. She said, I like to see a new person, a new human. 
Laura would not let me record our conversation, but I took a few scrappy notes longhand. Curiosity was the thing. My husband was curious about everything. When someone suggested he take mescaline or mushrooms, he accepted it right away. We took LSD maybe once a year, she told me. She also lamented, many of the Indian teachers are not open to psychedelics. The state of bliss that sometimes people achieve with psychedelics is equal to the state of bliss you achieve if you breathe in a certain way, fast, for example. I could certainly attest to that having experienced an energy surge after the breath of fire technique employed in kundalini yoga. Laura then dropped two marquee names from the vintage Hindu Hollywood scene. She recalled pioneering India-born guru Paramahansa Yogananda, author of the yoga lit classic Autobiography of a Yogi and founder of the Self-Realization Fellowship Temples in Southern California in the 1930s, he was a trailblazer in yoga's migration to the West. I also met Maharishi and he blessed me, Laura spoke of Maharishi Mahesh, the India-born yogi and Vedic astrologist who's often remembered as the Beatles teacher. The band had reportedly fled his Rishikesh ashram in 1968 in a huff, with John Lennon later admitting, we sort of feel that Maharishi for us was a mistake, really. That was when I first came to America, Laura said of the period in which she met the yogi. He was in a little apartment on 3rd Street in maybe 1950. I saw him twice, the second time he was going to give me the sacred word. She was referencing one of the key elements of the Maharishi's Transcendental Meditation, or TM, movement. Followers are given a Sanskrit mantra to meditate on, which is purportedly unique to them. Nowadays, this isn't free and has been subject to some debate in New Age circles. Maharishi was very serious about it, but I was not. I told him I wasn't convinced, and he initiated me and gave me the word. I have been in contact with people like that, but I am not a follower, she insisted. I was impressed by her suffer-no-fools attitude and immediately took a liking to her. One of the pitfalls in the nexus of Hollywood and spiritual movements is that there are many needy, lonely, lost people in L.A. who would give away their fortune for the answer from their master. This phenomenon isn't, of course, unique to the city, as Krishnamurti attested to, but it seems to balloon like collagen-injected lips here. Laura hardly seemed to embody the little mouse, Topolino, or Italian Mickey Mouse, that her husband had described her as, a link I oddly enough shared with her as a former sweetheart had called me Moishin, little mouse in German. The delicate powerhouse went on to share her appreciation for Hindu Hollywood, that East meets West nexus I fell in love with. The visual influence has been tremendous, together with all the Indian architecture and design, she said. This is exemplified in Isherwood's aforementioned description of the Vedanta temple. Laura added breathlessly, and there was Leary. Dr. Timothy, that is, the psychologist, writer, and leader of the 60s psychedelic movement. He had been a dear friend of the Huxleys. Psychedelics had a tremendous influence in Hollywood. The aesthetic, color, and freedom, she continued. The studies on the biochemistry of the brain in the last 20 years have been amazing. Before I left Mrs. Huxley's house, she gave me a copy of Aldous Huxley's last major book, Island. I recalled reading about how the pair had managed to rescue its original manuscript from that house fire. 
She also gave me her autobiography, This Timeless Moment, which recounted her unusual and happy life with Aldous. I was touched when she asked me to come and visit her again. I made one attempt months later through her assistant to schedule a time to meet up, but never heard back. Laura must have already been quite ill by then as she died of cancer in December of that year. But kismet or fate or whatever intervened, and three years later in 2010, I did return to that house. I had the opportunity to co-host a salon there where a video short I made about the meaning of the Mayan calendar was screened outdoors beneath a large and looming Hollywood sign. In any case, my brief time with Laura Huxley left me with the impression that she was a pretty awesome lady with plenty of life and curiosity left in her. One of the simple but powerful things she said lingered. I have many ideas. I still like being alive. 